Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Sam Williams and this week we've got a podcast with Eric from the Flyers Club. For anyone who doesn't know about the Flyers Club, they're an absolutely fascinating business operating out in the States. They're purveyors of some seriously fine quality merchandise and their, their photography on Instagram is absolutely second to none. But beneath all that, they're also deeply passionate about the game and you know, the large part of their business resolve, revolves around organizing events and trips for their members. And they're just super passionate guys about the game. And we wanted to talk to them all about golf travel, both coming over to the UK for the, for the American tourist and vice versa. We got about 10 minutes into the pod as well and realized Bruce, Bruce hadn't turned his mic on. So hence why his audio is a bit scratchy for, for the first part. Um, but yeah, it's a really good discussion. We hope you enjoy it. We recorded it just before we went up to Scotland. So we're obviously talking about our visit to Crail before we, we realised how great that was. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good chat and uh, we hope you enjoy the pod. Watch this. Welcome to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. How are you doing? I am fantastic. How are you both? Yeah, very good. We, we were uh, well. saying yeah. before we, we joined, we're golf recently reopened. So uh, yeah, absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Uh, you guys, as the emergence from you know that... <laughs> You know, that, that lockdown must be forever sweet and um, especially in the name of golf and opening the courses, you just stretch your legs and go play. I'm excited yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Are you based in, in Boston, Eric? Are you playing much golf yeah. there at the minute? Yeah. Home, home base is Boston where I'm looking out at, uh, it's 65 and sunny here. Um, so we'll, we'll take it for April. It seems like an early spring for us, which is great. Um, I think when we last spoke, it's usually around the time where we start to question why we live in this part of the country uh, because we're coming out and you know the holidays are great because you have the snow and this changing of seasons but right in the february march time frame it just gets you know cold damp dreary and it just feels like there's no end in sight so um how long are you off golf now? for during that cold snap so how long do the course is shut for typically Typically, you know, depending on the golf course, uh, we'll go probably end of November through um, mid-March. Um, they'll, you know, some courses you'll catch a couple of days in there that you can play on temp greens. Uh, but majority of the golf courses in the Northeast um, are, are either shut or they're just gone to temp greens. And uh, truth be told, there's only a few brave souls that, that venture out at that time of the year. It's hard, isn't it? I think. I mean, I don't know loads about the us kind of weather climate and how it all flows between the seasons but you know you've got to go quite a decent way down south in the states not kind of be affected too much by the winter haven't you i think even even yeah. places like south carolina you know they still get a bit of a cold snap and stuff and you know was it a recent event out in austin texas like even there yeah. that had had really cold weather and i think um yeah maybe maybe the british listener looks at this and thinks well yeah, golf in America, it's sunshine every day, but it's just not the case. Yeah, it's it's all relative, I think, depending on what your winter is. If your winter is, you know, uh, you know, 50 to 60 degrees or your winter is, you know, 16 to 25, um, it's, uh, you know, again, it's all it's all relative. And we, we call them the snowbirds who leave New England and head down to uh, Florida uh, or, or the South in general just to play. And 
Um, and, and that's kind of the, you know, the mig migratory pattern of even the PGA professional from the North courses, you know, during those closed months, they go down and they work in the wintertime um, down in Florida because, you know, that migration of golf happens. So it's really interesting. And speaking of migration, um, <laughs> tell us a bit about, about a Flyers club then, because obviously, um, you know, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how it all started and um, your initial trips to Scotland, but perhaps for the benefit of our listeners, you kind of, yeah, yeah, just give us an insight into, into how this kind of brand came to be what we know today. Yeah. So it, the interesting thing about Flyers is, um, you know, my background's been in golf, but it's been in golf travel in different, different spots. Um, along the way, but we started Flyers in 2016 and really with the idea of just focusing on a bit more depth of the experience. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, there are plenty of opportunities to go out there and play 36 holes a day, drink your face off, go to the hotel, rinse, repeat for seven days, you sleep when you get home. And, you know, for us, it was it was kind of defeating the purpose of why we travel to begin with, which is this whole idea of discovery and immersion and, you know, meeting new new cultures, food, wine, drink, whatever it may be. I mean, that's the whole reason why we travel is to 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 experience new, just new. And it, it gives you hope, it gives you opportunity and, and it it creates this global citizenship, tolerance, all those things that kind of go into travel. And you know, we were seeing that a lot of that was just being overlooked by, you know, perhaps the American traveler going to the UK and Ireland um, and around the world. And we started by creating experiences that had a bit more of a deeper dive into not only like, yeah, we're playing some world-class golf courses, but we're also focusing on some overlooked golf courses as well as the culture that surrounds them. Um, and we were particularly enamored with, you know, that feeling of history and tradition that just seems to ooze out of clubs in the UK uh, and, and Ireland for, for that matter. And, you know, just celebrating that, you know, everything from, uh, you know, the, the, the signs and the quirkiness of, of different things along the way I mean, to that, that's the stuff that sparkles. Um, and that's the stuff that, you know, again, we celebrate. Um, so that's, that's really where the ethos began. Um, and we mm -hmm. kind of progressed. Um, and really started working with you know a different type of clientele um, than I would say majority of folks putting together experiences. It's interesting, isn't it, when you look at the the traveller and you you know spending time in Scotland is, is a really good example. You see Americans kind of coming you know washing through whether it's Fife or East Lothian, and they 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 tell you about their tour, and you're like, man, that is just way too much. You are biting off way too much here, like. <laughs> They're flying to Ayrshire and they'll go and play Turnbury and Troon and then they'll go over to St Andrews and play the old course. Then they'll go up to Carnoustie and then they'll try and get themselves back down to Muirfield and then they'll get themselves up to Castle Stewart before flying home. And you're like, that's a crazy amount of travel. And you're pretty much playing one type of course as well, like trophy courses essentially or, or open right. road to stuff. And you miss yeah. so much. And it's a shame because it is those, the, the best parts of a, a travel is when you kind of stuck somewhere for a little bit and you, you like you say you kind of immerse yourself so i guess that's pretty hard when you're dealing with clients as well isn't it to almost hold them back to a certain extent does that yeah. make sense you know i i always say that people um you know the golfer in general often goes over to check a box but comes back bragging about the golf course that you've never heard of and, mm -hmm. and that's the that's more and more than the case where 
you know, East Lothian is an example. Um, they're going over there. They want to play Mirfield. They've heard so much about the lunch, you know, uh, they want the, uh, you know, the afternoon um, round or whatever. But then they come back and it's, you know, they're, they're bragging about Kilspindy um, or, you know, going to Fife and, and playing St. Andrews. Yeah, we all know the old course is the magnet, but, you know, perhaps coming back and bragging about Ely and Crail and uh or places like Mercar or um Brora up in the highlands the list goes on and i think that those more and more are becoming kind of the centerpieces and at the end of the day like when people come back and be like man that golf course you put in there that i'd never heard of before really just where are we where are we going next you know because mm. anybody can sell the championship golf courses in my opinion it's an interesting point isn't it because you think it's the championship golf course ideal i guess we've talked about that do you think that's maybe partly a, a, a cultural thing i know we mentioned before that um you know by and large pretty much every open rotor course or certainly every open rotor course and most of the kind of top what would be considered top tier courses in the uk you can get on and, and you can pay and play at. now you might not be able to go into the clubhouse and have the fully immersive experience but i guess because of of a lot of land in the uk being common land right. um do you think that's quite attractive to american tourists coming over and being able to play all of these courses they see on tv and they know are are very very historic venues whereas i guess stateside which is where you also have a, like a very very interesting um business out there with with top tier clubs it's a lot more private and exclusive do you think that's maybe part of the attraction when they come over to, to scotland yeah i mean i think that the the box checking and and also the perception is like it's just different culturally i mean i think that golf is ingrained in the uk's culture it's just part of life um it's perhaps not as much of a status thing as it is in the united states and um at least from my perception, and I know that's probably different when you're you're in it, but, you know, in the States, private clubs are truly private. You can't get on unless, you know, a member or, um, you know, perhaps it's a, a different access point, but you can't just rock up and play. Um, that, that just doesn't happen. Those opportunities aren't there. And that's the challenge, right? So you've got golf courses that you see on TV, whether it's the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship, um, that rotate through obviously Augusta is in its own stratosphere in itself, but um, you, you keep going and, you know, initially the USGA was making a, um, was making a, you know, push to play on golf courses that were public, you know, like Torrey Pines, like Beth Page Black. Um, Harding Park, and, another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it, it just became more of that initiative, but, to get more to your point, I think um, it is a big deal for Americans to come over. But, you know, once they've done it and like, unfortunately they check a box uh, and that's part of like Flyers big thing is that, you know, we get that you want to go check a box, but we're not always about just checking the box. We want to celebrate, you know, going that one step further. Um, if you're playing a championship golf course, finding something that is just completely, you know, maybe it's a fact you're stumping the golf historian that, um, they perhaps didn't know before going in. Um, and, you know, I think that to us was just the whole feeds into our motto of travel further. It was just like dig deeper, travel further, uh, discoveries in the details. And for us, it, that's everything. Um, so we try to get those individuals who are trying to check that box um, 
it's almost an education piece when you're, when you're having those conversations. With yeah, a lot of synergies there with obviously what, what we're trying to do as well with a lot of our films recently having been kind of historically focused and trying to capture the history of these clubs and not just the courses and the, and the links that you go and play on, actually just trying to understand how it all fits together, um, you know, in, in, a, in a broad sense and not just kind of the sport of, of, of playing the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're uncovering those, those long traditions. And I, I feel like when you talk about, you know, in America, an old golf course is a hundred plus, maybe 120 years old, right? Maybe 130 is one of the oldest. And you go to Scotland and England and Ireland. I mean, you're getting back Scotland in particular, you're going back so far. Um, and it's amazing to me. Um, just you're, you're just three, four generations of, of individuals, uh, families that have you know perhaps played the golf course or whatnot. And that is just so much. I mean, the depth is is incredible. Well, Crowell's a great example. So we're, we're actually um, by the time we release this, we will have been to Crail, but we are going to Crail when we are recording this. And that's 1786. That's one of the first golf clubs. I think you know arguments over it whether it's sixth or seventh, but. 1786 mozart was performing premiers you know <laughs> in those days and you're like whoa that's crazy like long when you think about you know the history that's there but then there's a lot of you know you know you've got places in the states as well like chicago is a really good example isn't it you know lucky i've been to palmetto which you know hangs a, hangs a sort of certificate on the wall from you know kind of you know really when it was the founding of it was the usga at the time your brand is exciting isn't it i think you know the pictures you guys put up, you know, everything's built around, you know, maybe more, it seems to be more built around like an Instagram generation. Do you see a massive difference, Eric, with the clientele and what they expect from a golf trip now than perhaps a different generation? You know, you know, that kind of whole thing around the brand you're building, Harry, the hair, you've got the, the whole notion of adventure and wanting to kind of go further off the beaten track. Is that a do you see that as being a big thing in the States in terms of that, that kind of demographic at the moment? Yeah. I mean, so for us, you know, historically the, the international traveler um, is for better or worse has had, it's expensive to travel internationally and play golf. We, we all know that piece of it. I think that um, for a lot of folks, you know, for us, we're seeing the individual traveler, at least in our world right now, is decidedly a bit younger. Um, and we, we love that piece of it in part because, you know, they're, they're not, they're not set in their ways at this point. Like they're open. They're just this opportunity, this blank slate of like new discovery, um, where there's, there's plenty of, of opportunity for, you know, kind of that 55, 60 plus who are now traveling, who are looking to, you know, they, they've done it. They've done it and gone beyond. Um, so I, I think that we use Instagram obviously as a platform to connect and, and we know that that demographic is 25 kind of to 45 that engages with flyers. Um, and, you know, we're telling stories and, and putting it together with, you know, the branding with Harry and, um, and packaging that piece up because, you know, we want to tell more of our story. And, and our goal for us is for, for travelers, to, to for people to travel with us. Now, we know that sometimes you know, the individual at 25 to 30 may not have the wherewithal to do that. But at some point, if they feel like they are involved in the club, um, maybe they, maybe, you know, they're purchasing a, 
you know, something from our shop, but they believe in the whole kind of ethos that we're per, you know, putting out and the stories that we're telling, but they just don't have the wherewithal perhaps to travel, you know, and they kind of go on and go on from that standpoint. And I think the club for us means different things to different people. Um, in that scenario, uh, you've got the international travel, we've got our domestic events, and then we've got our merchandise. And each of those kind of speaks to, you know, where you are in your journey um, of life, of golf. Uh, and, you know, there's never really this obligation that, oh my gosh, you have to go spend this amount of money or, you know, you can't be in part of the club. And we've always kind of based ourselves on the exact opposite of, you know, how golf is perceived, private golf is perceived in the States, which is, you know, it's, it's driven by what you do, your status, what you make a year. And we really just want to curate an audience that actually just has a deeper appreciation, not necessarily deeper wallets. And is it a bit of a mixture there when you're doing, you know, international trips? Um, is it a combination of individuals who are kind of contacting you and saying, look, I want to look into going to Scotland. Can you kind of hook me up with an itinerary there? And I want to play courses in around this area. And are you then maybe pairing them up with other people who are kind of, again, like-minded and looking for a similar trip? Are you kind of doing group bookings as well is it a whole mixture of, of people who i guess all in some way or another are, are connected to you know what flyers club are, are, are about and the ethos that you kind of convey on um social media yeah um i think that uh you know it's different like you know as far as the trips are concerned i think i mentioned when we started in 2016 because we were looking through that almost educational lens we started working with college teams and development offices um, who are supporting those college teams inside universities. Um, and I, you know, we're working with alumni of those schools. And then we progressed and, and built kind of um, more of that audience uh, who are, you know, groups who are coming in from, from members or they're coming in through, you know, different avenues in that regard. The membership piece of things and, and the club itself, um, we're providing that expertise, obviously, to our members, but also we're providing kind of our what we would call fixed departures. And so it's, hey, we are going to um, the Highlands in September. Uh, this is where you're going to play. These are the dates. And you can sign up as a single golfer versus, hey, I've got to rustle up seven of my mates to go. You know, we got to go the whole back and forth, check with the powers that be to make this work. And then, you know, okay, well, those dates don't work. Maybe this financially doesn't work. And one guy really wants to play this course. Another guy wants to play this course. It takes all of that out of there. Um, yeah. And, you know, being a Flyers Club member, you can sign on to that experience um, in that regard. So we do offer kind of that private bespoke travel, which is more in the traditional vein of, of experiences coming over from the U.S. to the U.K., um, but then also embodying that model of that fixed departure um, for our members and, and their guests. And this is probably a hopelessly broad question, but but just out of you know pure curiosity, are there any spots that maybe surprise you initially that as being particular favorites amongst amongst your the people you you're kind of sending on these trips? Obviously, as you mentioned, St Andrews is a bit of a magnet, and open road to venues are often um, you know sought out. But are, are there any spots, any regions, or courses that keep kind of cropping up um, that maybe fly below the radar? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love, I, I absolutely love uh, the Aberdeen area with Cruden Bay and Royal Aberdeen and Mercar, um, and then moving up to the Highlands to do uh, something in, you know, kind of a Royal Dornick obviously becomes the centerpiece as does Aberdeen and Cruden. 
um, but you know, Abrora or Fortros and uh, uh, Nairn um, and Castle Stewart to, to some extent as well. And you know, oftentimes, you know, for better or worse, we talk about the magnet a lot of when you're educating individuals about going over there, it's like pushing them to other places. Like, yeah. did you know there's another golf course besides the old course it's in Scotland? Um, and <laughs> You know, a lot of that time uh, is spent, you know, kind of educating. Um, people forget that Dornick is in the top 20 in the world. Um, and it's often overlooked, in my opinion, which is a, it, it's amazing. So, again, you're educating these individuals yeah. who are going over there. Um, but I particularly love that piece of it. Uh, it. It checks a couple of boxes, but boxes that maybe aren't your first thought um, mm. for going to Scotland. You know, that, that oftentimes for, for what I see is, you know, maybe their second or third trip. It's really interesting because we can, we can only liken what you're doing to the, maybe the stuff that's out there for the British audience now, which I don't know how best to summarize it. It's a lot more, I would say, mainstream. So, you know, large volume tour operators. We have Europe on our doorstep. So places like Spain and Portugal are really popular. We know yeah. there's world-class golf courses in Holland. No one ever goes to Holland and plays golf. You know, it's it's strange that and that you know it's clearly the market for whatever reason hasn't evolved to that sense of i don't think that same sense of adventure as maybe you know your guys are looking for um i mean you know flipping it around the other way traveling to the states you know we're in a world where you know the british regulations around things like restrictions they're looking at virus rates you know united states is looking like a really a place that on a sort of traffic light system would almost be preferred people going to Holland, maybe to holiday to the US rather than maybe Europe, perhaps. Where would you steer them to? Because I mean, I've only been out to the States a couple of times, Bruce, you've been a few more times. There's so much breadth on offer. There's so much depth. There's so many amazing courses. And there's that whole like crazy sort of public and private and, you know, where can I play? When, where can't I play? But how does the, how does the British golfer that wants to go to the States start to pick that apart? Because that's a complete <laughs> like yeah like that's like I'm not saying your job's easy here, Eric, but yeah. you can get people on most courses when they when you put them on a plane, and most of them are drivable within a certain re within a certain range. I yeah. don't know where to start. You know, looking at the states, like you know, give yeah. us some give us some nuggets. Yeah, I think well, I uh, you know I think the hardest thing is the private is the private nut to crack um because we're going back to the point of you know they see it on tv they want to play it you know it's a very herd mentality in that regard um you know but i think the reality is for the visiting golfer the majority of the visiting golfer is going to be going towards um these you know kind of remote remote resorts that we're seeing you know the whistling straits of the world band and dunes and valley um stream song uh down to uh you know pinehurst and you know pebble obviously it's it's a it's a big one and it's a very different model than what we see in uh, the uk i mean that is decidedly a stay and play model and it's really you know the more remote that the resort is the better it is for you know i think the traveler who's going they, they appreciate it because it's now and it's better for the resort itself because they have you on campus. You're, you're staying there, you're eating there, you're playing there. And you're wallet share. They've got every penny, you know, it's kind of, and everyone says place like Bandon's an incredible experience, yeah. like unrivaled, but 
you know, exactly like you say, you're kind of almost in that stay and, you know, you're on resort. You're not necessarily hopping from club to club. And that's something you get in the UK because you get those stories, you get those different feels that, you know, the clubhouse is totally different to where you were yesterday. And there's something, I don't know, maybe I'm talking nonsense here, but there's something really cool about turning up to a golf club you've never been to before. Mm-hmm. From the moment you get out of the car and go into the, you know, the locker rooms and the clubhouse and everything has a different vibe, but maybe it's just me that's obsessed by that. But maybe that's why, you know, you kind of look in, if you want to look beyond that sort of band and Pinehurst, you know, kind of model. Well, I think it's also the membership thing as well, right? Like yeah. the idea that, you know, at perhaps some of the more, dare I say it, private exclusive clubs, the opportunity to meet a member and play with a member and just get an insight into what it's like, you know, for them playing their golf there. I think that's a very, very neat insight that, you know, that almost permeates a lot of golf in the UK, doesn't it? You can kind of, obviously geographically, the challenges are nowhere near as great in the UK, but, but being hosted by a member at, at places, um, that's a nice experience as well. And I guess you probably, you lose out on that at, at places like Pebble Beach and Bandon and, and, um, stream songs as far as i know there aren't it's not a membership structure that really operates there as you say it's it's a kind of resort model. yeah and and, and I, you know i don't want to i don't want to discount those experiences because i think that they they are one thing but as we're kind of you know going through the nuance of the differences of of club membership versus you know decidedly that resort model you know i think as a golfer at least from flyers perspective we're seeking that authenticity that uh, that you know you're walking in it's like this is not only i'm a visitor here and i'm really grateful to be here but this is this is a working operating living breathing thing that you're walking into that is it's a club and it's been here for for hundreds of years and i've now come here and i'm discovering it for the first time but for for many in the UK, this is my everyday when when golf is happening. Like I, I come in and I go to the locker room, I get changed, I go out, I have a few putts, and then I go play. And I have my regular four ball, two ball, three ball, whatever that is. Um, whereas the other ones we just identified in the states, you know, that there, it's a trip. It's usually a buddy's trip. You know, they're set up to cater to that. And I think you see a bit of that in the UK and Scotland. I mean. Um, and it's not a bad thing, but that's, you know, that's the Dumbarneys of the world. That's Kings Barnes. It's yeah, Castle totally. Stewart. Um, and they're set up for it. I think, you know, even like Glen Eagles, which has, you yeah. know, you tell people about Glen Eagles, that it's, it's you know, how old it is. And people are like, whoa, really? Like, I thought it was just, they just told us to the Ryder Cup. But the reality is, yeah, it, they, there's history there. Um, and I think it's just depending on what you're looking for. I think we, as the Flyers Club, we tend to gravitate towards more the club experience than we do perhaps the resort piece. Um, but that's not to say that the experience there is not authentic. It's just not that club depth that we perhaps are, I guess, so enamored with. Um, and you, you can feel it when you walk in there. You just feel the history, you mm. s- the smell of the floorboards, you know, like <laughs> everything about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I, I don't know. Um, what does a trip like that look like? Just out of out of interest, then you know, stateside those those trips that you're organising for members and uh, at these places which you mentioned are quite exclusive. Is it? It's just a kind of, from what I gather, it's a it's almost a, a ballot model that you operate. Yeah. So we so inside the club piece of things, and and, and again, 
Um, as a member of the Flyers Club, we provide access to um, some pretty great private golf courses. Uh, now, I just I'm not at liberty to say publicly what they are, uh, but they are in the same vein of caliber of golf course that they that you would see in the UK as far as like top 100 in the world. Um, uh, but they are decidedly private. It's not something you can just come off the street. And we've built some really great relationships with some prominent clubs uh, in the United States that we feel we can send a small group to um, and feel that they can experience, you know, the history uh, and tradition. We typically try to identify golf courses that that are in the same vein, um, that same feeling that we just discussed about when you walk into uh, you know, that old clubhouse and you get that feeling of just so much has happened here um, in, in years before. So that does exist in the United States. Unfortunately, it's oftentimes behind closed doors. Um, and so we try to provide that access piece for our members um, to these historic clubs, you know, supporting it with editorial and, you know, perhaps history and then exclusive merch around it that's inspired by um, you know, the, the beings that it is. So I'll give you one example is a myopia hunt club up in Massachusetts. Uh, it hosted yeah, wow. four us opens at the turn of the century. It's a sleepy club. Um, and we've had a really great relationship with them. Um, but it, it was originally, uh, designed, uh, started as a, well, it's, a, it was a hunting club. And, um, so creating kind of, um, merchandise and the experience around that and digging into it we have a great little kind of uh, speech before the our, our members go out and play just the history of the golf course uh, it still holds some of the the highest scoring records um if for the u.s open um it's just a tremendous uh, centerpiece to our schedule so um it's events like that that we try to emulate and and identify other golf courses throughout the u.s that we can add for our members yeah, I mean, I've, from people I know that have played Myopia, they say it's absolutely fabulous. Is it steps in bunkers and all that sort of stuff? They've got quite a few sort of features of like, yeah, you know, nice yeah. sort of wooden sleeper steps in bunkers. I, I'm just basing that probably on some of the pictorial evidence you guys put up. By the way, I want to know the pictures that are on the on the Instagram. You seem to have a never-ending list of courses <laughs> where you just roll out yet another world-class photo. Where have these all come from? Because you guys can't have travelled abroad for ages now and yet there seems to be a, a steady stream of supply of yeah just gold yeah. course photos and it's just like it makes you drool um yeah well it's uh a um so and when we started flyers in 2016 i was working for the pga of america and i i left the pga and i had met um who's now one of the founding partners of, of flyers uh, omar rawlings and i was like uh, I was like, Omar, I'm, I'm hopping on a plane. We're going to the UK and Ireland and we're starting this company. Um, do you want to come with me? And without hesitation, he says, yes. And yeah, we hopped on the plane and we went for a full month, just kind of rocking around. And he was with his camera and I was with my golf clubs and we literally shot every golf course that we played. We met some amazing people, um, stories along the way. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, with COVID happening, we, we really haven't had the opportunity to tell our story, to, to sit down and, and do this. And when we first set out, it wasn't 
you know, we were never really thinking about, oh my gosh, we're going to, we're going to make merchandise and uh, you guys, you know, like we're going to sell it that way. It was more like, okay, well, we can't travel now. Let's, um, let's share our story. And so in hindsight, with Omar being there and he's, I can't express to you, he's such an integral part of Flyers and um, he, his, his work is so identifiable. Um, 98% of the images you see on there, I'll, I'll, I'll contribute to 2% of those <laughs> here and there, but uh, his work is just everything from the product photography that you see to the on-course imagery. Um, that's all him and uh, his eye. And he's just an incredibly talented, humble individual. And he's, uh, he's from the UK. So even better for, um, from that standpoint. And, you know, he, it's good to travel uh, over with, with somebody like that. He, I, I stick out like a sore thumb with my accent going over to the UK, you know, um, depending on what country and uh, being English, it, you know, it, 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 it does. Uh, it, it's a, it's a funny thing um, with that, but he's, he's just a, just a total juggernaut as far as creative is concerned um, and a big part of uh, those imagery. So I think when we were over there, we saw, we shot something crazy, like, you know, 60 or 70,000 photos um, and wow. we're through them. Um, and each, all the raw footage is, is somewhere on some drive somewhere, but uh, we keep going back and finding new things and details and, you know, perspectives and new stories. And, you know, we wanted to kind of, we set out to, to tell, not just be like, this is hole five, it's 435 yards. You'd hit a seven iron off this, you know, like that has been done. Um, and so really kind of trying to tie unique stories and experiences to the imagery that is maybe not as deliberate has been always our philosophy because um, we just wanted to share more. And so, yeah, that's where all the photos come from and they will continue oh, they're to- incredible. They're absolutely incredible. They're, um, yeah. There's some superb images up on there. I'm, I'm, I'm also curious. So obviously Scotland, you, I feel like people maybe uncover, you know, I know it's a banned word in today's woke golf generation, but, you know, hidden gems for want of a better term, whether it be the Killspindies or the Broads of the world. No one seems to uncover so many in England. And I, I wonder if that's just by virtue of not having the same pull to those kind of trophy courses. Obviously, you've got the northwest coast of England. But I'm sensing that the demand, or certainly from the clients that you guys have in America, it's give me Scotland, Scotland, maybe Ireland, Scotland again. That seems to be the demand. It doesn't seem to be the same pull into England, which I think is fascinating. Like we recently did a whole piece around Harry Colt and you know some of the work there, and there's just so much depth to the courses and the architecture in, in England. Do you see much in terms of demand for people, or do they just want to kind of, again, maybe – is that, you know, maybe the traveling golfer who just wants to breeze through St. George's, the Northwest coast and off up to Scotland? I mean, I think that the England is, is decidedly, um, I think you're right. The, the gravitation initially for a first trip to the UK is Scotland. And then maybe they go back, they go to Ireland. It's interesting that England kind of plays, you know, maybe into that, second or third or fourth trip that if you're going back to the aisles um, that you're going to but i think you you know you mentioned the northwest it's it's incredible obviously around london uh, there's just a tremendous amount of you know the heath and golf courses that are there and then out to georges with princes and uh um in places like that i think it, it's 
it's it, it's for better or worse i think it's just a, a it's a more refined palette and not because it's just not i guess in the forefront of everybody's mind um and you know there's another and, I, and i'm not sure if you follow the, the england golf project oh, yeah, um, yeah yeah instagram you know i think they do a really good job of highlighting um kind of the hidden gems in in that regard and they're bringing that out and starting to celebrate it more um and you know I, there's also the nuance of of just kind of the the club piece of things you know like when you can play these golf courses what are the restrictions how do i get on you know that way and there seems to be an endless uh you know, just kind of navigating it um but you know, I, I don't know why exactly that is, um, but I think that there'll be a renewed spirit in England this year, of course, when it when the Open returns to George's every July, you know, the phone starts ringing off the hook with people being like, I want to play Lynx courses and I want to play in England or wherever the Open is at that time. Um, it's so American, going back to the herd mentality of like, uh, I saw it on TV, I want to do it in real life. <laughs> <laughs> And how do things look on on that front? Obviously, you know it's been a it's it's been a kind of weird last twelve months or so. But um, the Sam alluded to there with vaccination rates, I guess, starting to pick up a little bit. Um, do you do you kind of feel optimistic with the um, international travel picking back up next year or so? I mean, there's a lot of people in Scotland. I'm sure are delighted that uh, they can get tea times on the old course and at, at the open <laughs> venues without a lot of Americans coming over. But um, I guess things slowly we could kind of tentatively hope that they're getting back to normal on, on that regard. Yeah. I, I'd like to think that 2022 is going to be a banner year. I think that even towards the end of this year, hopefully we'll, you know, we're still have our, some of our groups who are holding on. Um, but I think for the most part, it's, it's a two way street, as we all know, it's like, you know, both countries have to be in a position where they, they're either accepting or receiving uh, mm. travelers and, you know, until they kind of get it standardized. I don't think, you know, if, if a traveler wants to go, uh, but the country doesn't want them to come, or, you know, if the country wants them to come, but the traveler's not ready to go, you know, it's, it's, that's that, that two sides of the coin. And I think, um, you know, I think it'll be, hopefully will be flushed out by 22. Um, I think that once we kind of get a standard expectation of what people know they have to do before they go, whether it be vaccinated or, you know, proof of vaccination or, you know, they do a test or however we, wherever we land on this whole thing, um, because I think, you know, you're, you're comparing two different societies that so just using the United States and the UK where, you know, it's decidedly, you know, in this country, we have a little more of a challenge with just wearing a mask. That has become a politicized piece of things. Whereas I feel like you guys haven't left five kilometers of your home for the last, you know, three months. I think that Barely, wouldn't yeah, be they wouldn't fly in the states so it's decidedly a different approach mm -hmm. and you know being respectful of both the cultural differences there and i think only time will tell us in that regard but i do think that 2022 will you know will prove to be a banner year I, there's just going to be so much demand because yeah the way it's been we've seen reschedules from 2020 to 2021 and now from 21 to 22 couple that with you know, 2022 demand of people who just didn't travel or wanted to travel in those days now want to go. And even looking at Scotland as an example, the Open is happening there in 2022 in the 150th. So close the old course for six weeks. It is madness um, yeah. as far as, you know, the demand is concerned and even more so pushing it to the outside of these other golf courses like England, like um, the Highlands and Aberdeen, like 
you know, uh, Northwest Ireland, uh, you know, places that hopefully will benefit from this demand. It's just going to spill over. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Because it's easy to say, you know, there's there's not a limitless ability to keep supplying golf, particularly over those summer months in certain places. So you've got to hope that, you know, there's an opportunity to start putting it in some, you know, places that wouldn't get it originally. You, you've When we spoke before, we talked about some of the, the trips you've been on and you, I think you guys have covered everything from, you know, obviously Ireland. We've talked about Scotland, England. You guys have done, I think, a lot of Australia and some of the stuff, particularly the Melbourne sand belts. Yep. Yeah. You know, what about you? So we get into 2022, it's taps on to flying again and trips are trips ahoy. Where, where do you want to go? Like what's going to be the big bucket list for, for Eric? Great question. Um, you know, before COVID hit, uh, we were supposed to be in Japan. Um, that was a big one for me. Um, wow. I, you know, if that was a, that was another one, you know, I've committed as we're talking about England, I want to get back to England and, and do more of a deeper dive. Um, truth be told, my, my few times there have not been as the depths. And uh, so, you know, I think between Japan and England, uh, that's, those are two that are on my, my list. Um, why Japan? Just on that, like why Japan? I know yeah, got, it's is it Hirano and you've got a lot of Charles Allison stuff out there, but yeah, I think mainly because of my personal heritage. Um, I, you know, I'm, I've got Japanese heritage there, so I've, I've, I want to go and experience the culture, but I want to see it through the lens of the golfer. Uh, and I think Japan is probably the closest market to the United States as far as how private golf courses interact. You know, it's decidedly private. It's very difficult to get on some of the courses, and so um, it's it's just a very interesting way. Um, for folks perhaps uh, to see it. And so kind of navigating that, I think that's another opportunity for us. Um, I also want to get back to Italy uh, as well. I think, you know, what the Ryder Cup is doing with bringing the, you know, bringing the championship to different courses or just different countries in general, like what they did with France and now with Italy coming up. I think that that, you know, broadens, you know, people's like, you know, people will be excited to go to Italy now. And now the interesting thing about that is like people go for the food and wine and, and the history and the travel. And now it's like, Oh, golf is there and golf will be like the third or fourth thing people go for. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's one of the weird are, things with the Ryder Cup, you, isn't yeah. it? I mean, and we, yeah. we always talk about it on this podcast. You guys obviously got the Ryder Cup whistling straights. Yeah. Fabulous golf course looks brilliant. Would love to play it. When it's hosted over in Europe, we seem to choose some of the worst, newly built golf courses on some of the worst newly built land. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, this podcast has done plenty of bashing for places like Celtic Manor, but they're not massively appealing places necessarily to play, but they right. bring an awful lot of revenue. They bring a lot of footfall and with that opportunity. So I guess, you know, Italy is again, great opportunity to then find stuff that's on the perimeter where people want to go and play golf as well, because there's got to be adventure there. Just like, you go, you go around Paris, there's so much great golf to be played around Paris. Just, you know, right. would you want to play Le Golf National? Maybe, maybe not, but there's loads of other good stuff around you. So I guess, like you say, where there's interest, there's opportunity. Yeah, and I think, the, you know, the Ryder Cup is decidedly on just a, a, an epic scale of, of, uh, of an event that, you know, it just requires a certain footprint um, and just capability to house an event that big you know it's it's just so difficult to put it into 
you know, even at some of the old courses here in the United States, you know, the revenue that you're you're kind of giving up by going to a historic course because, you know, perhaps there's no parking or there's just nowhere for the amenities to be, you know, that you would expect to, you know, whether it be like food and beverage or, you know, um, kind of the merchandising, you know, if you're not able to kind of accommodate, you know, the level of, of uh, you know, visitors or spectators, it's hard to put it at a golf, you know, some golf courses, you know, I know that oftentimes I've always wondered that too, though, but why, why the Lynx golf courses um, aren't in that because, you know, there's a little gamesmanship that happens with the Ryder cup. We know that there's, there's the course set up and like everything that kind of goes with it. And, you know, if, if you're going to make it a bomber's course, tighten the fairways, put those pins in places that, you know, force them to hit the, the Americans are just going to hit it into the rough. And, you know, how do you, how do you do that piece of things. And I've always wondered why, you know, perhaps the, the links courses with that weather and, and that bit hasn't been, you know, at least in recent years, been, been a focus for the, uh, the European team. It's an interesting one with links courses, because I think when Glen Eagles ended up getting it, I believe St. Andrews actually were, were considering putting in a bid for the Ryder cup years and years ago now, but it's, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, the only one I can think of that springs to mind would be going back to somewhere like Birkdale, for example, and the, the concession there. Um, but as you say, it's where it's, I think, becoming increasingly apparent that teams are setting up um, courses that, that suit their kind of respective players' strengths or, or, or kind of model of player. It, it links would just be an obvious choice for a European captain or a European um, kind of Ryder Cup organization i'm not quite sure how it all works the sort of hierarchy of it all but and i guess another thing is is the spectator the spectator point often a lot of links courses aren't maybe bound by the restrictions on space that a lot of um a lot of inland courses would have in europe but uh, uh yeah i guess that's another another area later this year hopefully we have to to look forward to seeing um seeing that play out hopefully with with fans places like k club and glen eagles mm. and um you know, uh, Celtic and, uh, it just ends up, uh, you know, I think it's, it's just kind of points to the commercialization of, of, of the event itself. Um, just shows you, doesn't it? Just so much money behind that event, you know, anything where it becomes viable at Glen Eagles, where you got world-class golf courses to build yeah. another one just for the purposes of a stage in the event. You're just like, wow. Incredible and frankly, the, the King's course, in my opinion, is one of the best. Um, yeah, and, and it's not to knock the PGA. I mean, the PGA the centenary course is it's decidedly a championship golf course. I get that. But the King's just, you know, when you think of Glen Eagles, you think of the PGA, or at least the American golfer thinks of the PGA yeah. course. Um, but the Kings and Queens, I mean, my gosh, those are just, just, uh -huh. just brilliant. Um, in my opinion, so. To the point where I think the PGA almost feels empty. Actually, when you play it, you're like, "Wow!" I, you know, I think that's that's just an insight into the scale of the of the event. Is that it, li it literally feels empty if you're just playing that as an ordinary really? like, kind of green fit? Yeah. Well, I've, I mean, I've only played it w once, um, but yeah, as Eric was saying, they're the kings and the queens. Very intimate. They're nice courses. I think they're both under par seventy. They're they're not yeah. long at all, but. Um, Obviously, there's a, you know really nice scenery, and that they they are really yeah intimate courses. And the PGA is just like wow, okay, where are the grandstands? Like, uh, yeah. there's definitely supposed to be a grandstand there, and there's definitely. And I imagine it was just you know an ap absolutely epic amphitheater. But um, yeah, 
yeah, they're almost only fit for big events, which is, as you say, maybe that's just kind of speaking to the commercialization of the, the game as a whole. Eric, you've been very given of your time. What, what can we look forward to seeing from the Flyers in the next, uh, in the next few months? Uh, well, thank you. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on. This has been, been a lot of fun. I, I guess coming up for Flyers, um, you know, we're kind of going back through different um, merch collections and, and drops that we have coming up, both for our membership and for our visitor store. Um, so a couple of really cool collabs that we have uh, that we won't we won't hint at too too much here, but um, definitely stuff around the majors. And then we have our our big kind of twelve days of flyers, which is uh, kind of leading up to the holidays, and um, you know just kind of looking for more and more of those types of collaborations. And I, I know that we we want to revisit that UK mm. uh, only drop again. Um, it's something that we felt there was a lot of. Uh, there was a lot of excitement around it and uh you know we work with some really great brand partners in that and so we're hoping to do another one of those before the year's out as well it's exciting times ahead awesome. so i mean i guess uh we thank you for joining and uh yeah like we'll continue to watch with amazement and you know if we can't be on one of those events we're not members we're not in the states we can wish you well with them but we'll certainly enjoy the pictures in the meantime and uh and hopefully look forward to speaking to you soon but thanks again eric for joining and uh yeah, all the best. Yeah, Sam, Bruce, thank you both so much, and um, enjoy enjoy your newly found golf freedom. Yeah, we will catch Watch up soon. This.